This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello there. And welcome to Talking Flutes. I've nicked this one. You're not nicking this one. This is definitely a Talking Flutes. <laughs> it is a Talking Flutes. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm Jean Paul, and and I'm Claire. You are indeed. Well, thanks for inviting me down again. And um, what is great about coming down to Hove is Claire has her three dogs, and we don't try and hide them, do we? It's chaotic, Jean Paul. <laughs> chaotic so they, they won't leave us alone and now they're drinking water and there'll be a bit of barking and when Rolf comes in there'll be a lot more barking so I apologize now. No how wonderful that is the real life and thank you for the coffee. I think you want to take us through some questions this week don't you? Yeah, quick, they've been sent questions. in by listeners. I've got the list here. Read me the first question I haven't got it. I have got my me. glasses on so I'm gonna have to hold these quite a long way in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I should take a picture of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it gets further away, further away. <laughs> Got it. That's going to go up on the Facebook page. <laughs> oh, dear, 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 dear. Right, question number one from uh, Jane Lucas. How do you not go flat when you're fading out a note at the end of a passage? Right. <laughs> this raises... Many thoughts. So, if you excuse me, I'm going to go about this in a roundabout way, because... Crikey, you're going to go... In roundabout, that's normally me that does that. No, I'm going in a roundabout way today. Normally, I'm straight to the point. You are. There are so many factors involved in pitch. So, pitch and expression are linked. If you play with no dynamics, then basically you have no pitch problems. So, we want you to play with lots of expression and use lots of dynamics and by doing that the pitch is more difficult to control basically you need to develop your listening skills and your flexibility but before even you do that you need to check your flute setup check that the position of the head joint and the position of the cork so the cork needs to fit snugly into top, the top of the head joint and it needs to go in a particular position it does and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is it 17.2 millimetres? Do you know, I'm going to be really lazy here. Um, technical director David would tell me, would shout at me. All I know is if you stick the cleaning rod in the stick end... Stick the cleaning rod up the end, if you've got a line on the cleaning rod. Yes, if you've got a line on if the cleaning rod. If you've got a line rod. on the cleaning rod, you can stick the cleaning rod up, up your head joint and the line should be in the middle of the mouth hole. Yes, correct, yes. And if it's... If it's not, you can adjust by, by using the screw. Pull it in, and if it is too far out, you can unscrew it a little bit and then aim, aim to push it in. But a lot of, a lot of play, young players especially fiddle with the, the top of the head joint, and so they are unknowingly pushing in and pulling out yes. the cork without realising it. So first things first is to check the position of the cork. And that it fits properly. It's very easy to replace it if it's if it's shrunk over over years. Um, and then the head joint. Sorry, I'm laughing. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of lot uh, drinking. A lot of drinking going on. Yeah. Um, and and Rolf's walking through with his toolbox because he's been fixing a car. So it's all it's all happening. This is um, life, Claire, isn't it? Yeah, I know, but I get distracted. I'm trying to think about. Yeah. Well, sure, <laughs> so um, you're on court, you're on court position at the moment because then the flute has got to be in tune with itself, hasn't it? 
flew to tune with itself, but then the head joint. If the head joint is too far in, your octaves are too wide. So you've got a flat bottom and a sharp top. <laughs> you've heard about soggy bottoms in, in Bake Off. I think that's the name of the podcast. I think that's the name of the podcast, isn't it? Flat, flat bottom and, sh- and sharp, sharp tops. tops yeah. yeah. So, and the opposite, if your head joint is pulled out too far, your octaves are too close together. So you've got a sharp bottom and a flat top. Mm-hmm. So we can use harmonics to check the position of the head joint. So what we're doing is if you, if you finger low D, for example, and you play the second harmonic, which is low A, mm-hmm. and then you finger the normal A and see if the two notes sound the same. So you play harmonic A, normal A, and then go back to harmonic A. And just use your ears to see whether the notes are the same. And if not, move your head joint and then see what the difference is. And I think it's great to start off by pushing your head joint right in and then doing that harmonic exercise, and then pulling right out and, and play the same exercise. So you hear the actual ex- the extremes of the pitch change. Do you know, I've learned something already. I always go to my same head joint positioning, which is probably about a centimetre out. I actually... Yeah. So if you go to the extreme, so you can actually hear a big difference, and then gradually alter it until you get to the same pitch. You need to go blow a good mezzoforte here. So, you know, it's no good just, just sort of breathing into the flute. You've got to, 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 to blow a good mezzoforte. So there are two things. And then the next, sort of, the, the first sort of exercise we all need to do um, are bending notes. Bending notes where you pick a note and you bend the airstream up and down using your jaw, your lower jaw. So so that you hear the pitch change. And this increases your flexibility and it gives you the technique to keep the notes in tune when you do a crescendo or diminuendo. So bending notes give you the technique. So see how far you can bend a note. And just a side note here, I I cover all of this in my book, Flute Reboot. So the basics for playing in tune are, are very simple. As you crescendo, you blow harder. And when you blow harder, the airstream can rise and you go sharp. And so you need to lower the airstream using your jaw, exactly the same technique as the bending notes. And as you diminuendo, you blow less. And so the tendency is for the airstream to drop and be flat. So you raise the airstream to keep in tune. Now, a great exercise is to use your voice. We're always talking about singing. Sing the dynamics. So sing a crescendo and sing a diminuendo and you hear the pitch stays the same. Our voices don't change. And then do exactly the same thing on the flute. So you're linking your singing voice to your flute playing, you know, every opportunity. You've got your ears warmed up, and your chops warmed up. Whoops, I've just hit my microphone. Chops warmed up. And your armature muscles warmed up. Yeah, so say you're playing a low G, or any low note, or in fact any note, actually, and you, you need to hold it. It's the end of a piece. You need to hold it. How do you stop it from going, ah, as you sort exactly of Exactly, as I was just saying, yeah. as, as you blow less, you need to keep the airstream up. So you imagine using a, a, a hose pipe in the garden. You're pointing at a, at, a, at a plant and you want it to go, the water to go further. You increase the pressure. Yep. And as you increase the pressure, the water goes further. Yep. So it stays more upright. And if you turn the tap down, mm-hmm. the water drops. So that's what's happening to your airstream. So as you blow less, 
you need to just gradually push your jaw forward mm -hmm. so that you keep the airstream up. Gotcha. And the only other problem that comes is that as you push your jaw forward and blow less, you can actually reach the point where the whistle tones start. Yes. So you get going at the end. The other thing is just gradually push your lips a little bit more forward. Like a whistle, actually, which gets whis rid of the whistles. Okay. Yeah, which leads us to another exercise, which is doing whistle tones. Find out where they are so you don't go there at the end of a note. Yeah, whistle tones are quite fun, but um, controlling them I've always found to be totally beyond my, my very limited control. Well, it, it just comes with practice, like, like all things. And with, with whistles, you get a sort of a, a harmonic range. If you're blowing, you're not really blowing, you're breathing across the mouth hole. And try and stop on one of the tones, which is a fantastic breath control exercise. And then try and move off that one tone you've got to one of the others. And the key is not air direction, the key is moving your tongue. So you change the note by a tongue movement, moving your tongue Ooh. slightly forward or slightly back, like in a whistle. Moving your tongue, got you. That sort of covers very briefly how to play in tune, but as I said, there's lots of things to check. Yeah, there is. You need to check head joint position, cork, and make sure you're blowing consistently. Yeah. In order to check with the harmonics, check the pitch. It's it's quite a common amongst younger players a common a common issue, isn't it? Sort of just flattening off at the end of a note. Oh, absolutely. Well, again, again, when you're losing support and you're losing uh, yeah. estrine, uh, yeah. strength. Yeah. And I think the, the 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 key here is sometimes when you've got these problems, you learn better because of it. Yes. As long as your ears are open. So what we're saying, we have to be. You have to be so self-aware and really listen. So sing a note going flat and then see if you can play a note going flat and then sing a note keep getting softer in tune and then see if you can play the note. Oh yeah, so imitating the, the way you don't want to go so yeah. that as your ears will know, recognise it as soon as it does happen. Yeah. Sometimes by playing something incorrectly, you learn how to do it correctly. Have you ever done that with students? Have you ever, you know, when they've struggled with a passage? Yeah. Get them to you, play it wrong. You get them to play it wrong. <laughs> so, for example, let's yeah. just take something completely different. Let's take tension. If, they, if, if, a, if a student can't feel that their shoulders are really tense, you say, okay, when you take next take a breath, lift your shoulders and really tense up those muscles and then play. And to do that, even for a few seconds, I'm doing it now, mm -hmm. it, it's really painful. And they say, well, now relax. And, and suddenly the relaxation is far greater because you've gone the other direction. Yeah, I think that whole concept is if you're struggling to play something right and you think it, you should be able to play it and you're, you're very aware or your teacher is very aware that you are actually, you get this, the tension that is causing the issue. By getting someone, by getting yourself or get the teacher getting you to play it wrong, you're releasing that tension that, and the expectation hmm. that you place upon yourself and the chances are you may actually play it right. Hmm. So it's all to do with sort of, I suppose, exaggeration. Um, a lot of times in lessons, you would encourage a student to exaggerate doing something because you know when they go away, they won't do it quite so much. So, for example, if saying, I don't hear any dynamics, no, you need to play much louder, much softer. And you know by the next time you hear them, it will have evened out. Yeah, exaggeration. That's, that's really interesting you say that, isn't it? Because when you're practising or when you're in a lesson you're doing say dynamics or you're doing you're projecting your sound according to the environment you're in 
I know we're deviating off, that's typical of me, but exaggeration is important as a musician, isn't it? Knowing, knowing when to exaggerate whatever it is you're trying to do, commensurate with the environment in which you're going to be playing in. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you have to play according to the acoustic that you're in. And sometimes I found it was, it was quite good. So when, I, when I was uh, having lessons, I would sometimes really exaggerate something to see what was said. And very, very rarely had I done too much. Really? Yeah. So something to try if anyone's got lessons this week. <laughs> <laughs> exaggerate your dynamics. Just do one thing at a time. So play all the fortes really, really loud and all the... Piano is really, really soft. Yeah, without sharpening up, obviously. Without sharpening up, go flat. Yeah. Or overphrase everything. Really? Overphrase? Yeah. Or over vibrato. Or under vibrato. <laughs> Do something that's a little bit different and see what the effect is. Does somebody notice or not? I like that, going off piste. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Because you're pushing yourself to do something different. I find interesting is just from that one question, how do you not go flat when you fading out a note at the end of a piece? All these other areas sort of start to come in, and there it just it, it magnifies to me how how complex being a musician is, and especially a flute player because of the use of the the air. Yeah, you have to you have to feel it. I mean you. Practice the technique, but really you need to feel it. So I always say you practice consciously in order to play subconsciously. So that you really, because you can't be thinking, when you're performing, you can't be thinking about the technique. It goes wrong. I've learned this in golf, by the way. Go on. I have applied practice, my practice to golf like I applied practice to flute. Obsessive. A little bit, maybe. Uh, And then when you're on the golf course playing, if you're trying to think about how you swing, where you stand, what moves, what doesn't move, what the club's doing, you you don't play very well. You've actually just got to go and hit the ball. But the practice kicks in. So it's the same with flute. Be very conscious about, about your technique in practice in order when you perform to forget it and just let that practice take effect. And don't let the going sharp or going flat go by you when you're practising. Be aware of that. Yeah, you have to develop a feel. A feel for the air and how much you're doing a diminuendo and how much you're doing a crescendo. You have to sort of feel it rather than do a technique with it, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. Do you, think, do you think we under-exaggerate when we go have lessons or when we... I think a lot of people do. But it's something to bring into your practice that you exaggerate, record yourself, because pitch is easy to hear on a recording. <laughs> it is. You can't hear tone quality, but you can certainly hear the pitch changes. <laughs> um, and don't be glued to a tuning machine. I'd love tuning machines and metronomes to be thrown out. But I, I did a podcast, I interviewed Paul Edmund Davis, and he said they should be banished to outer space. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Chuck them away. Because <laughs> a metronome keeps you rigid and you, you cannot be expressive. And a tuning machine is a machine telling you, if you've got a sort of a needle tuning machine, you can play a note in the low register and think, all right, it's got to be for A440, A is, the needle's got to be in the middle. And then you play an octave, and it shows that you're sharp, so you flatten it. But you're flat, in fact. Mm-hmm. Because tuning machines will pick up the harmonics in your sound, so everyone is different. 
So really when you play an octave, generally speaking, it's pick up the higher harmonics and you probably have to flatten it a little bit. But it takes away the use of your ears, a tune machine. Yeah, that's exactly what it Paul said. It stops you listening. Yeah, exactly. Those are the same words, yeah. Yeah. You lose the ability to listen because you're relying on this little machine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You lose the ability. Which kindly segues into question two from an Alice Smith-Jones. I'm struggling with high notes. My teacher says I'm forcing it too much. Now, that's such a natural thing to do, isn't it, it is, when you're it a student? Is. So I'm going to uh, use the analogy of exercise here. So imagine your low register is walking. Mm-hmm. And your middle register is jogging. Yep. And your third register is sprinting. Yep. So first of all, you can't jump straight to sprint. It's not going to work. <laughs> no. Yeah. So you work at your low register in order to develop and strengthen your embouchure muscles, doing things like we were just talking about, like uh, whistle tones, bending notes, harmonics. They strengthen your embouchure muscles and colours, of course. Mm-hmm. And then do the same thing in the middle register. So you gradually start to strengthen and the better you are in the lower registers the better you are in the top registers so harmonics i also talk a lot about harmonics in flute reboot yeah what what lesson was that in the Um, harmonic i'm just looking now it's in flexibility with harmonics but it's on page 34 (laughs) flute reboot reboot, it's all about flexibility so developing and strengthening the lips, learning how to control the airstream, increasing flexibility, and strengthening the tone over three registers. So you can't just strengthen the top. You have to strengthen the lower register. And it's the same if you go to the gym. You know, you, if you're going to do, do weights, you start off with the small weights until mm-hmm. you get the technique yeah. before you go to the higher ones. It's really interesting. Also, what's really interesting... And it's a natural, is that you see younger players or students that have, have a really relaxed embouchure, and they've been taught, well, they have a relaxed embouchure, good hand positioning, and good angle of the flute that's comfortable for them. Mm. As they go up the octave, you find that embouchure sort of coming in and getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and then they're really squeezing mm. through a little tiny pinhole. Mm. I, I mean, obviously, we don't know how Alice Smith-Jones, what her embouchure is like, but do you think that could be an area that she should look at is the fact yeah, that te- she's... tension is definitely an area to look at. The thing is, when you go higher, the the embouchure hole is getting a little bit smaller. Yeah. But if you say to a student, look, your embouchure hole needs to get smaller as you go higher, you're just opening a can of worms there. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is trying to gradually learn through experimentation and make sure that your posture is good, your breathing is good, breathing in, your blowing out is good, that, that this whole support system using your tummy muscles is good. And as I said, as you as your low register gets better, so does your middle, so does your top. But it needs work. You can't just not practice. I mean, when you think about it, we spend so much time on the low register practicing, less time on the mm-hmm. middle, less time on the top. As you get better, you need to increase the amount of time that you work at the middle register and the top register. And, of course, the top register, it's not only is it it's more difficult to get, but it's very difficult to play softly. Yeah. Which brings in another fabulous exercise called ghost harmonics. Go on. So, let's say you've got a pianissimo top A. Nice. And, yeah. Could be worse, could be F sharp, but anyway. <laughs> I think, 
Well, maybe. F sharp was always my nemesis, but go on. Yeah, top A. So top A. So what the natural thing, say you were starting a piece with pianissimo top A, the natural instinct is to tense. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it's an exposed top A. And that's because you, you haven't quite worked out where all the support is. So, you know, you have to prepare your body in order to play the pianissimo top A. So the exercise for ghost harmonics is that, oh, I think Peter might have seen the postman. Or seen a ghost. <laughs> He's a great guard dog. Oh, oh, okay, Pete. Oh. <laughs> this is yes, we edited. We've, uh, we, we put it onto pause because Pete was rather attracted by the postman, as most dogs are, aren't right. they? Yes. So, so back to ghost harmonics. Ghost, ghost harmonics. So it's an exercise to help you play softly in the third octave. So if you finger middle a, a top A mm-hmm. and blow it like a very, the lowest note, like the lowest A. So really? blow very, very gently. So you just get the lowest mm-hmm. harmonic sound on the fingering of top A. Yep. And then you play like a harmonic series. You gradually increase the air speed and the, raise the air direction till the note splits. But only just so the note splits. And then you increase the airspeed and the direction again till it just splits again. And then suddenly the top A pops out, but you've still got your low register embouchure. Magic. It's magic. The other thing that can help with top A is to slide your little fi- your pinky onto your C-sharp key. <laughs> but you could save that until you've I was waiting when you'd... Was, yeah. <laughs> until you've perfected the other one. And with F-sharp, of course, you can also yes. use your... Uh, C sharp key. It makes it sharper, so then uh-huh. use your middle finger for F, top F sharp. Not for middle F sharp or low F sharp, just for the top F sharp. Yep. So there are various things you can do, but ghost harmonics, you can do ghost harmonics on any of your top notes, top register notes. So you bl- blow them like the, you get as softly as possible and see the lowest note that comes out, and then think that you're playing like a harmonic series. So you're just gradually increasing the air speed and pressure till the note splits. How wonderful. Do you know, ghost harmonics weren't even on the agenda today, but uh, thank you. You're welcome. And also, I'll, I'll close by saying the mark of a really wonderful flute player in my head is one I can listen to, and they're in the third octave, and they're playing beautifully. The sound is just round and warm, and that isn't easy to do. No. I think a lot of people, it's much easier to play gorgeously in the bottom register but the higher up you go, as you said, it's a mark of your standard in the flute playing world would be how you can make that flute sing mm. in the top register. And also being confident. When I was, I can't remember how old now, maybe it was 16 or 17, my teacher told me I had a problem with my top register. And so yeah. I believed it. Yeah. And I struggled for, for so long until somebody else in a class said, your top register's fantastic. Tell everyone how you, how you do it. And I'm thinking, wow, no one's ever said that to me. Yeah, that's a complete other subject, that's isn't it? The, word, the words that you have to are be used confident. to you. You have yeah. to be confident in your ability and not have false expectations. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't practised your top register, then you won't be able to play your top register. Yeah. But if you haven't put in the hours of the low and the middle, it won't work. Alice, I'm sure that goes above and beyond... Claire, I think we're done. We're done. Thanks, we John Paul. Okay, and uh, don't forget to like and rate this podcast. 
because it makes it easier for the pesky algorithms to find this to... I mean, I know we've done 220-odd, but you know, people still need to find us. And you can find us on Talking Flutes on Facebook page, or you can find us on Talking Flutes on Instagram. And if you want to direct message Claire, it is at Claire Flute on Instagram and Twitter, and at Flute at on Twitter. At Flute, guys, that's good. <laughs> 14 years. I was one of the first ones on Instagram. Oh, on, on, sorry, on Twitter. So nice to see everybody, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers, Claire. Yeah, cheers, John Paul. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.